This is another episode of Conservative Conversations with your hosts, Reed and Frank. How are you today, Frank? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I'm doing good. Glad to be back at it. Been off for a couple weeks. Been a little busy. You can hear about what we've been up to in our other podcast, the Wiki Wacky Radio Show. But for now, we're just going to jump right into a few news bits that we've been looking over recently. And I'm going to start with a, a Supreme Court case that I heard about recently. Um, I first heard it in a little, like, two, five, two to five minute long audio news brief podcast that Fox does. And they mentioned this case, it's called Carson v. Macon. And the oral arguments were just heard, uh, let's see, today is the, what day we, the 9th yes. of December. It was, the arguments were done on the 8th. And um, a little bit of background on the case is that in the state of Maine, they have a thing called a tuitioning program. And in the state, there are, uh, like, the school districts are highly localized. And in particular parts of Maine, it's really rural. And there are some towns where there's no public high school option available in the district just because there's like either not enough students or not enough people you know, to, to, uh, to fund it with taxes and stuff like that. Right. So the state provides funding to families in those situations to go to a school they're choosing. And the central, well, one, the main issue in the case is that the state does not allow students to use the money to go to religious schools, or as they're called in Maine, sectarian schools. And there is a couple, uh, a group of families that try to send their students to these uh, sectarian schools, but were denied uh, based on them being sectarian. So, uh, the families wanted to challenge that based on another recent case uh, that happened, I believe, last year. It was Espinoza v. the Montana Department of Revenue, I believe. And it had to do with saying that, um, hopefully I get this right, that uh, the state couldn't prohibit um, private uh, scholarships for being used at religious schools that are tax deductible. I hope I got that right. And um, so the, I believe they're called the Partitioners, Partitioning Party uh, in Carson v. Macon, wanted to challenge that, uh, trying to apply the same rule in Maine. In, in the case, the Carson argues, or the petitioning party argues, that religious discrimination is religious discrimination no, no, matter, no matter how you want to look at it, and that the state shouldn't be preventing um, the students or the families from using the money to go to the religious school of their choice. And what Macon or the I forget what term it is, the other party, says, is basically arguing the uh, establishment clause and saying that uh, the state doesn't want to fund any particular religious education. Well, the to use the language that we heard over and over is to inculcate right, religion. Yeah, right. <clears throat> and... Um, like I said, I, listened, I read through some of the transcript before the audio was available, and uh, at first it seemed like the partitioning party was making a decent case until uh, Justice Sotomayor asked a question or brought up a point that sort of made me kind of reconsider my thoughts on it. And one of the things that she tried to point out was that the way this program works 
is that if you live in a district where there's a public school, you your kids go to the public school unless you choose to pay for them to go elsewhere, like in most most places. And then if your district does not have a high school, the district can contract with another district to send the students there. And then if that is still not an option, that's when the state steps in and provides money to the family for the student to go to a school of their choosing. And this can be just about any school, uh, because I've heard examples of students going to like foreign boarding schools, like boarding schools in uh, France and Switzerland, stuff like that. But it's the money cannot be used to attend a sectarian school. And Carson doesn't, or the petitioning party doesn't think that's, that's fair and it's discrimination against religion. And what Sotomayor brought up that made me sort of reconsider it is that and if a student lives in a public school, a district where there is a school, they don't get any money to go to private school other than, you know, maybe their parents do scholarships or pay for it themselves. The state isn't providing any money for that. So it kind of doesn't seem fair that the state is giving this money to the students because, unfortunately, they don't have a school for them, uh, but they, they can't use it. Uh, let me back up a second. That that they could use it anywhere, including a religious school, doesn't, doesn't quite seem fair. Which I can agree with if, you know, if, like in the case where there is a public school, um, if a parent wants to send their child to a private school or a religious school, they'd be paying for it out of pocket. So I think it makes sense that you might set some restrictions on where the students can go because you know why does the state get to pay for a student to go to a really really nice school just because there isn't a high school in their area but all these other students would still have to pay out of pocket to go there well if you're ready for me to chime in i definitely have a i do have a few thoughts on this i mean I definitely think it's a very interesting case. Mm-hmm. My first take when you were talking to me about it uh, last evening was open and shut case. They ought to be able to do what they want, right. <laughs> you know. But um, there definitely are some nuances yeah. here. And and like you and I were talking about, you know, um, one of the things that I wanted to really think about at first was the figure, the particular stipend, if mm-hmm. you will. I'd like to look at it as a stipend that they're giving to these kids. Um, and I kind of just figured, I threw a number at you, I figured it'd be about, what, 700 to 1000 bucks a month. Right. And I think come to find out, that is about what it is. It's about $1,000 a month that we're talking about per child, or a lump sum figure of about nine grand. Right. right? I, I believe that is what I heard in a couple of videos mm-hmm. I saw like that were reviewing this case. And that's per child. Yeah, I, I so, think so. Well, as I understand it, it's right. per child. So, um, I mean, just sort of my thinking, generally speaking, you know, is that things are pretty expensive anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to talk about that later in this segment. But if you're talking about a thousand dollars cost, or, you know, uh, excuse me, a thousand dollars stipend for somebody who lives in very rural Maine, mm-hmm. I just figure that that thousand bucks is going to be eaten up pretty quickly over the course of a month, you right. know, with travel costs to this other school, unless there's boarding, mm-hmm. um, you still have to have meals, you know, some schools will charge right. you for the meal program. You still have to buy textbook, pencils, pens, whatever, mm-hmm. you know, um, some schools may provide the textbooks, but there's usually a cost right. to an education, even at the high school level. So I figure a thousand bucks a month in today's day and age wouldn't go very far, to be honest with you. Right. So it almost, you, I almost want to ask the question: Is the state being petty here, you know, and right. saying, "No, we're going to deny it because it's a religious school." Right. But 
the thing that really sticks for me and why I think um, Carson here probably isn't going to make this, as I read it, I don't think he's going to win this case because of the legislature. Mm -hmm. The legislature had the option. I mean, I think at, at one point before 1980, they right. even did. They had the option to fund these religious schools. You yeah. could use the funds. Yeah, that is one thing that uh, Carson brings up and to argue is that for 100 years up until 1980s, the program did allow students to go to sectarian schools, but it was the, I believe, the state attorney general at the time, and as Carson put it, uh, not quoting exactly, but dubiously or erroneously read in something about the establishment clause of you know, of religions and the separation of church and state. Mm -hmm. Well, that, and it's something, as I understand the legislature, based on all this, right? Maybe mm -hmm. you haven't finished what you're saying, but as I understand, they reviewed it and changed the law to say specifically that they weren't going to allow these funds to be used at sectarian schools. Right. So to me, it's just cut and dry like that. If it went up through the legislature, I don't see how it's going to be overturned by the Supreme Court in this manner. Right. Especially when I mean, it's a little dubious to use that word. It is a little dubious here because we're not talking about harm mm -hmm. in the traditional sense, sure. I don't think. So it's, I think it sort of is a tough thing to prove. I don't yeah. see the Supreme Court overturning this you know, whatever, since 1980, however, right. 41 years of precedent here in the state of Maine, when the solution's right there. You have the legislature change it again. Yeah, I think, I kind of agree that's probably how it's going to end up. The Supreme Court policy basically either do nothing or rule narrowly somehow, saying that Maine's got to go make a couple adjustments, either allow it or change their phrasing to not allow other school options or something like that. Yeah. Because one of the things that they were kind of, once um, the people arguing for Macon uh, made their arguments, because they were kind of going back and forth with the justices about you know, the, more re the religion aspect of it, of what the state might consider a religion and stuff like that because they used examples of where you know the school might be religious but so long as they're not as as we said inculcating religion in their curriculum in, into the students then they could be part of the program they could be yes. a religious school they just can't do religious things and just to put inculcate differently um it's like to require or force by mandatory, you know, uh, um, what would you call it? Right. Mandatory outline or whatever that these kids have to go to temple, have to, you know, whatever, right. do their rosary, have to say their prayers. <clears throat> um, that's what the state has said they will not pay for. They won't pay for kids to be forced to have to do religious. Right. Uh, schooling, or and and that since you're phrasing it that way, that you know about the state paying for it, that reminds me that Carson has argued that since the money is provided to the family, and then it's their choice where the money goes, it is not the same as the state funding it, because I think somebody, uh, either one of the justices or the council gave the example yes. of somebody receiving social security and tithing to their church with that because that wouldn't be the same as the federal government you know endorsing or funding uh, a particular religion yes it's it is a i think it's an interesting case it's definitely got a lot a few nuanced parts to it well and there i would recommend that you all go check it out right. i mean there's a a particularly interesting exchange. Um, we got it from the transcript. We were going over the transcripts last yeah. night. So if you were to find the PDF version, which we should be able to make available. Yep. Um, but my favorite parts, um, I listened a little later as I was falling asleep. I've heard some other great parts. But 
<clears throat> my favorite part is happens in an exchange from page 73 about line 15 through page 79 of the transcript about line 12 and um, they're talking there about you know what sorts of extreme schools might pop up and they're doing sort of hypothetical scenarios of right, would this school values. yeah would this school qualify based on these values or would this school qualify based on these values or whatever and um <clears throat> the the fellow representing what Macon? This, yeah the state yeah. right mm -hmm. the fellow representing the state was arguing that no, of course not. There would there would never be a school that would teach Marxism or Leninism or, or white, supremacy. white supremacy or anything like that. Um, and his his proof, his evidence of that is that the legislature, even if it should happen, some white supremacist school tried to apply to be a member of Maine's tuition program. Um, he said that the legislature would find a way to make sure that this school did not qualify. Right. And he, he also <clears throat> said that, you know, the legislature can't possibly, you know, legislate for every type of scenario that might come up like right. that. But then I think he goes out on a little bit of a limb and he says, you know, the schools, no school would ever teach Leninism or Marxism. And then <laughs> Justice Alito, one of my favorites <laughs> he pipes up quite quickly and says well what about a school that teaches critical race theory that marxism dogma that you know is has been in the news all mm -hmm. over the place um <clears throat> and again the state falls back on what i think the whole answer to this case is going to be his response is that the legislature would have to review what that curriculum is. The mm. what's it called again? Even uh, I just said, the theory? critical race theory. The yeah. it lies with the legislature. So if critical race theory turns out to be not good for the public schools, then the legislature will correct it. Right. And I thought it was kind of funny that the council said that he doesn't even know what it would mean or what it means to well, teach critical race theory. Yeah, but I think that kind of makes sense because he's a lawyer right. and he's saying, I don't know what the components of right. this curriculum are. You know, I haven't read the books. Yeah. I haven't taken the classes. I don't know what it would be like to teach right. this to a child. Right. He would. I think that's fair. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, it's fair for him to say, but, you know, you know, as... But I think we all know. Right, that's yeah. what I'm getting at. We, <laughs> yeah. we know that it's it's happening and it's specific dogma and they even talking about you know what when we know it's marxist right that, yes and but they even talked about they questioned if there is a school that taught or inculcated anti-religion that no religion whatsoever is good the council said that you know they would likely not be permitted to be part of the program so it's definitely interesting. Yeah, <clears throat> it is interesting that Maine's legislature in 1980 put in that schools must be religiously neutral. Right. <clears throat> it's a concept. Yep. But like, like we said, people, we encourage you to look at this case for yourselves because we think it's interesting, even even if it might not have wide-reaching implications for people. It's you know, it's interesting to look at, especially, you know, if, if you're someone concerned about religious liberties and stuff like that. And again, it's called Carson V. Macon, C-A-R-S-O-N and M-A-K-I-N. And I'll have links to um, the transcript and hopefully some good audio, uh, the audio if you want that too. Okay, well then... You want to move on over to uh, what I woke up to this morning? Sure. Well, the first thing as I came awake that my eyes lit upon, my cell phone had a notification. It sends me these, uh, I call them dumb. I think they're dumb little news notifications. I never asked for them. I don't even know how they pop up onto my phone. But I wake up to one that says, 
something to the effect I was a little groggy, but it says something to the effect that um, fourth doses of the vaccine are now being called for or a second round of booster shots. So <laughs> I wasn't too happy about that right away. Um, and my friend sent me a meme and it says, uh, you know, it's got a funny picture on there if you're not familiar with memes. Um, it's got a funny picture. It doesn't really matter too much. And it has a caption that asks the question, do you know what the vaccinated and unvaccinated have in common? They'll never be fully vaccinated. And if you're fans of this channel and have been listening for a while, we've called this. I think that's something I've said myself. Uh, I don't uh -huh. know which episode it might have been. Uh, maybe trans-COVID statehood. Uh, that pops to mind, uh, but I didn't review. But anyway, so I did a little digging into this. I want to see what all the hubbub is about. Uh, you know this. You know the name of the new dance? The Omicron. <laughs> The right. Omicron, om, 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 I heard somebody some the other day say it's so funny I couldn't imagine. <laughs> I, I wish I remember how they said it. Well, the new song and dance is Omicron. So I go looking into this a little bit, okay? And I find this CNBC article, and they're discussing research coming from a Professor Alex Seigal with the African Health Research Institute. And it was a 12-person test who had taken the Pfizer vaccine, uh, you know, prior to signing up for this trial. And <clears throat> the people in this trial saw a 41-fold, uh, quoting from this article here, a 41-fold drop in antibody ability to neutralize Omicron. Um, so there are some interesting things here right away. So I don't know what a 41 fold drop is. If that's 41%, if it's 41 times, times I don't know what, what yeah. it is. Uh, that's the only number that's listed here. It's a 41 fold drop, <laughs> whatever that means to you. If it means something to you, good for you. <laughs> so I look into it a little bit more and I find out that this this study, they had 14 plasma samples from these 12 vaccinated people, six who had already had COVID and beaten it, and six who had not. So let me ask you, Reed, does that make any sense? I've already told you twice now that it's a 12-person test. Yeah. Where, where does this 14 plasma samples come from? How do you get 14 plasma <laughs> samples out of 12 people? Somebody got some twice. Somebody got some twice. Yeah. yeah, and I bet you they were the ones with the highest antibodies. Right. <clears throat> well, uh, this just popped in my head. If there were 14 samples from 12 people, you know, that's two extra from the number of people. Mm -hmm. That means they could have picked and choose easily which 12 of the samples they wanted to make to show their point. Exactly. I mean, right there, you can see bias in this. Not only is it a Pfizer study. Well, no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, it's not. It's this African Health Research Institute. But I don't know who funded it. It could be Pfizer. George Soros. <laughs> but, um, well, we that's speculation. But um, anyway, they end up saying, they're saying, um, they released these lab results to show that if you've only had two doses of the vaccine, you still have some protection. But the booster offers more. Apparently a 41-fold increase <laughs> if, if you take this study, right? right? But one of the interesting things, since they were studying people who beat COVID, who had the infection and beat it, and people who had not, had never had COVID at all, they found that previous infection followed by vaccination is what really increases your ability to con um, to confer protection from Omicron. Right. So how do you like that, Reed? They end up, from this study of six who've beaten it, six who haven't, they end up saying that if you have beaten it, you have a better chance of beating the, the new strains. Right. I bet you, now they add in here, they say, Previous infection followed by vaccination. But I dare say, I want to go out of limb here and say, 
It's probably not the vaccination at all. It's probably your prior infection, you know, having had it Mm -hmm. and beaten it of your own. You have your own natural reaction without the vaccine at all whatsoever. That's probably the real ticket, not the vaccines at all. Well, that would make sense because this whole time we've known, well, maybe not whole time, for a while at least now, we've known that natural immunity is more durable than the vaccines. And if the Omicron variant is, I I don't know what percentage is less deadly or less lethal than the original strain and the Delta strain, but it's less lethal, more contagious, but less lethal, it would obviously make sense that it's probably natural immunity and having had the virus that's still the most effective thing against the new virus strain. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> well, I found that one interesting, okay, especially because these results, I mean, these uh, these numbers that they have in here are just so wacky. 14 samples out of 12 people. Right. How do you do that? I mean, <laughs> oh, man. Okay, so then, though, this article didn't say anything about a fourth shot. This was comparing whether you've had two shots versus three shots and whether you've beaten it, the COVID, or you've never even had the COVID in your system. So then I go digging a little bit further because I want to hear what woke me up this morning. I want to hear about this fourth shot and why we're pushing for this fourth shot. So I find an article out of um, U.S. News, and we'll have all the links up available for you. um, So go read these for yourself if you'd like. I'm certainly – I would never try to make any of this up. I'm not that clever. (laughs) Um, But this one, um, U.S. News article here is talking about how – the Pfizer CEO – didn't catch his name here, but the CEO of Pfizer has previously been on um, – I guess it's a TV show or something called Squawk Box. I guess he is a sort of a recurring character mm-hmm. on there, being interviewed frequently on there. And in um, a prior episode of that Squawk Box show, he had claimed that a fourth shot of their Pfizer thing – would probably not be necessary until a whole year after having the booster shot mm-hmm. or the third dose. But he's been back on Squawk Box now because of Omicron, mm-hmm. and he now has changed his tune. And he's advocating a fourth shot sort of now, a fourth shot or a second booster, because they have some internal data. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it's not like this data we just reviewed, this whacked out <laughs> data. Where you get, you know, two gallons of lemonade out of one lemon. I don't know how you do that kind of math, but uh, okay. But they have some data that shows, and I love this too. Tell me this isn't the same study or a very similar study. He's, He's quoting some internal Pfizer data that shows a booster shot. So just another round of the shot increases antibodies 25-fold in lab-tested blood samples. So if you just go get a booster, you're increasing your antibodies 25, what, times? 25, I don't know what 20, I don't get this 25-fold. 25%? I bet it's only 25%. But then, the weirdest thing that I read out of this article, and I loved this one, is there's a little quote that says here, the company is also working on a vaccine that specifically targets Omicron and would be ready for delivery within 100 days of regulatory approval. So get this, read. They're going off of the boosters. They don't even want to just keep pumping more and more boosters into you, even though they're also advocating that. Right. Now they're also going to come out with flavored COVID shots. How do you like that? Would you like the Delta flavor, the Omicron? Well, since since you mentioned it, I've heard from a couple different places that they have a Delta variant vaccine at the ready. But they, for whatever reason, it hasn't been pushed out. So now they're telling us in 100 days we have the Omicron vaccine ready, booster ready. They've got it all lined up. 
And uh, when you and I were talking about this software earlier, you made the point that it's probably just the same thing. They just renamed it. Yeah, they probably just said, oh, well, the Omicron's already out. Nobody's talking about Delta anymore. Let's just, uh, let's get a little white out and uh, fudge these files here. Just change the name. Right, and then in another hundred days, they're going to say, here's your, here's your, your pie. Yeah. (laughs) For pie day. Pie for pie day. Your pie vaccine. One day only. Go to a Walgreens <laughs> near you. Get your pie shot. And then another 100 days after that, here's the Roe variant. Get <laughs> your Roe shot. <laughs> and what... Oh, yeah. We really did have a... Got on a roll yep. with that. Because <laughs> uh, I keep wondering what alphabet they're going to use after the Greek alphabet. Yep. <clears throat> and some... I watched some woman on the news. Uh, she even joked that they're going to start using... Hurricane names. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> definitely some interesting developments there, but it's super ironic for me. Like I already said, just to reiterate, but, you know, we've had a lot of these feelings for a while, especially right. if you're fans, if you want to go back and review the material. Uh, we've pretty much been skeptical of all this from the beginning. We said you, there's no way you could ever be fully vaxxed. They kept changing the yeah. the requirements. I mean, even from the beginning. Right. <clears throat> well, because they even changed what the vaccine was supposedly supposed to do. Yeah, you know, all the symptoms and right, how deadly, how it could spread. Right, mm-hmm. it was originally supposed to be like, you know, oh, I don't want to use this word, but I will, like a, like a cure. not Not an actual cure, but basically it's, you know... You're right. basically not going to get the damn shit. Yeah. But then they eventually changed it to, no, it's not an actual vaccine that prevents you from getting it. It just offers protection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, about 25-fold protection over right. your own immunity. Right. Whatever 25-fold means. <laughs> and and you wonder why people question the, the vaccines. And I'm not know what they would say anti-vax if somebody wants to go get it go get it if you think it's good for you go get it but i'm not interested i don't believe any particular conspiracies about it i'm not interested because i don't get the regular flu vaccine never have never felt like i needed to and i apply the same logic here well and and whether or not there's some grand conspiracy or not i mean that gets a little esoteric but it's pretty easy to just read the writing on the wall and say that you know 14 plasma samples out of 12 people this stuff isn't making any sense right. you know i mean <clears throat> and just speaking of the flu vaccine when was the last time you had to go get four flu shots in one year yeah i mean this stuff just doesn't add up you can use your own common sense you don't have to be a doctor you know i've taken a math class i'm not a fool right 14 samples out of 12 people folks how do you do that Somebody was tested twice. Why? Yep. And why wouldn't they have included those two extra numbers? Why not? Why not just put it in your data and yeah. say why? We got 14 samples because blah, blah, blah. Right. <clears throat> I mean, it's, you know, their constant, you know, push for, oh, new vaccine, new vaccine, boosters, boosters, boosters. Now, people just don't want to keep doing that, especially, you know, because earlier today, I... I've told you I got a news flash on my phone about now how they're clearing 16 and 17-year-olds to get their third Pfizer shots. Yep. Like, they need it. Oh, they really need to get... get like get anybody it. needs it. Like, Give me a break. Especially the kids. <clears throat> it's, I don't think people are going to put up with it for too much longer. I mean, obviously, there will be dupes or get duped. And we're going to go along with it, but we're getting to the point where people you're running out of people that you're going to convince. Yeah. I mean, hope I hope that's true. Yeah. I mean, for goodness sakes. I mean, who really just wants to say, oh, it's been 13 days since my last shot. I'd better go get another one. <laughs> oh, I'm, get, I'm getting the shakes. I need my, I need my COVID. <laughs> I don't get it. All right. Well, does that bump us up to... Yeah, I think we can move on to my what I have picked out for the next uh, topic here. And I can't really say I have too many opinions on it, but it's I was going through our News Across the Web page on mm-hmm. our website at contemporaryconservative.net just to see what kind of 
headlines stood out to me that we might be able to talk about. And there was one. And the headline was something like, um, uh, 12 cities break homicide records and uh, like all the mayors are Democrats, something like that. I'm paraphrasing. And I said here to Frank, I said, I wonder if um, our home city that we live in right now is on there because it's led by a Democrat. And sure enough, when I opened the article, it was the, I think the seventh city listed on out of the 12. And I did take a few little notes here. Let me get them here. And and see, one of the first bits that I've picked was uh, five of those 12 cities had just set their records last year. Or if they didn't set the record last year, last year was the first time they had broken their previous record. Um, and I can list those cities here in one second. It was Indianapolis, uh, Columbus, Ohio, um, Birmingham, Alabama, Toledo, and uh, and Louisville. All five of those cities this year broke their record setting homicides last year. And then another little note uh, data I got is that Chicago, the third largest city, leads with roughly 739 homicides at the end of November. And one of the things that they talked about in the article I saw was that several, you know, like, uh, if you will, authoritative sources, uh, like, you know, former police chiefs and stuff like that, mentioned that there isn't really one specific cause for the crime uh, increase because people cite COVID, people cite the economy, and some other people talk about, you know, these no cash bail or these bail reform policies of some of these Democrat cities. But one trend that was pointed out that is clear is that between 2019 and 2020, there was a 24% decrease in arrests made. And that is the lowest number of arrests um, in, I believe it was 25 years. It was like 7.6 million arrests last year. And prior to that, in 2019, there was a little more than 10 million. And, you know, I, I would agree that's probably part of the problem. Because if you're not arresting these people and punishing for their crimes, and, you know, just maybe bring them in for the night and then let them go... They're not learning any lesson. They're not getting punished for their crime. So they can just walk right back out and do it again. Mm-hmm. And we've seen this recently. Uh, an example would be this. Uh, the SUV that plowed into people. Mm-hmm. If you guys have seen those headlines. <laughs> Where that guy who was just you know, arrested for a crime and released on... Either no bail or it's like I think a thousand dollar bail, and then a couple of days later he runs over those people in the in the parade. And you know I I guess this just stands out to me because when I saw that headline I questioned whether or not our home city was over there because I believe it was earlier in this year when I was still permitted to hang out with one of my more liberal friends. <laughs> Uh, we were out on a walk, and we were sort of talking about the um, the homicide rate in the city and how it's just been outpacing the year before. And I had mentioned that, you know, I I bet you it's going to pass last year because it's already, you know, on the rise. And I had made the comment that I almost, I mean, it's kind of a passive comment. What month would this have been? Oh, March, April. Oh, okay, and it was already outpacing the year before it. At that time? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. At that time. It might have been a little closer to May. It was late late spring. I'll say late spring. Okay. And I I had made the comment that I almost uh, would be more concerned about randomly getting shot at a bar 
and then catching COVID at a bar at the time. How did she take that comment? Um, I don't really know. I can't remember what her comment was to that. And, you know... I just wonder if a real Looney Tune liberal would fear gun violence more than the COVID. Um, that really is an interesting question for me. I'd love to hear one of their right. opinions True. on that. <laughs> and, you know, it's just that this... Like I said when I started talking about it, I don't have any particular opinions on the situation. I just thought the headline stood out to me because I had questioned, I had bet that you know my own you know place of residence was going to be on that list. Well, I find it very interesting. Did you have more notes or? Um, I think. Uh, let's see. What do I got here? Because the most interesting thing I have to say is just that we've seen headlines like this. Before, I mean, there was, a, I think it was a couple of years back now, maybe maybe as many as four, but mm-hmm. um, there was a big stink for a while about the deficits under liberal mayors and governors. Right. The sorts of deficits that are run up right. under them and how uh, places like Chicago and San Francisco are just adding to the national debt because they keep getting bailed out by the feds. Right. <clears throat> so, and it, it's... <laughs> it correlates with poor leadership, which usually seems to be Democrats. Right. Yep. Wonder why that is. Right. <clears throat> hmm. But uh, only a few notes I had left. Uh, I mean, I had the list of all the twelve cities that it mentioned, um, and I don't think I wrote this down. But one thing I do remember from the article was that last year, last year in two thousand twenty, I can't remember if it was compared to. The prior year, 2019, I think it was. I'll just say it was, and I'll have the article so people can go look for themselves and tell me I'm wrong. But it was a 30% increase in homicides from 2019 to 2020. And we're already, a lot of these cities are already outpacing that. And, oh, yeah, one of the last numbers I had written down was that... um, and so far this year, 2021, there were 19,278 homicides nationally. And I don't know why, but I didn't write, get the number for the year Well, and before. that's not just homicides. That's gun violence. Yeah, that is right, because this came from the ABC.com gun violence tracker. Right. So I'm sure there's been a lot more homicides than 19,000. Right. And, you know, I just, now since this does, you know, sort of hit close to home, I mean, I, I, I don't want to say I'm, you know, I, I, I'm in fear of walking around where I live, because I'm not, I, I, I still feel relatively safe, because most of this stuff is happening not in the part of town where I live. Yeah. But still, I mean, this, this isn't the kind of city I want to be living in, where, you know, you have hundreds of homicides a year just in the city this and this city is barely has a million citizens in it and one last bit philadelphia which has a little more than a million citizens it this year has more homicides than new york city and los angeles not combined but individually and those are the two largest cities so it's, Isn't that crazy? It is crazy. It's you know, and it's sad because you know what's going are losing, on, Philadelphia. Yeah, people are losing their lives, and particularly like you know, just last uh, two nights ago, I believe this is part partly what kind of made me think to look at this article when I saw the headline that there was uh, a drive-by shooting downtown that killed three people, a 22-year-old and like a nine and a six-year-old, something like that. So it's, you know, it's sad to see that not, it doesn't look like much is being done about it. I know our city just recently brought in a new police chief because they think that's going to help. I don't know if it will, but I... We can hope. Yeah. We wish him luck. Right. But I'm sitting here trying to come up with a point to put on it before we move on. But I guess I don't really have any. Well, it's just poor leadership. Yeah. And yep. hopefully guess, this yep. change will will do it. I right. 
I, and I don't know when this mayor of ours is going to be up for election because I think he's been the mayor as long as I've been living in this city for like five years now. So he ought to be coming up soon. Maybe he was just put in the office when I came here. So Flush that turd down the yeah, drain. Yeah, flush him down the drain. Alrighty, well, if that takes us over to my final yep. things here, um, I don't know how easily I'm going to link these together. I'm going to try my best, but I've got some stuff here about, I have it titled as unfavorable news coverage under Biden. Okay, yep, so, I've heard this. <clears throat> well, I'm going to make a couple points here about, you know, for the longest time, they kept saying that this inflation that we've we're seeing all over the place is just transitory mm -hmm. read it's just transitory it's just it's leaving the station it's <laughs> not gonna be here very long it's coming and it's, going yeah it's it's, it's on, on its way out <clears throat> well i think they're starting to realize <laughs> that uh this is here to stay and it's gonna get a lot worse mm -hmm. okay um I just found out the most interesting thing to me is that the Dollar Tree, you know the Dollar Tree? Uh-huh, yep. Well, it's now the buck and a quarter tree. Yep, I've heard that one. So, I mean, if that doesn't really kick everybody in the pants, I mean, I mean it. Right, the Dollar Tree for years. They're changing their business model. The whole business nationally. Yeah. Now everything's a buck and a quarter. So if that doesn't really kick... These people, these people in the pants, especially on the lower end of the socioeconomic ladder. Mm -hmm. Now all that stuff. I, I mean, people used to just love the Dollar Tree. You can go in there and get name brand stuff, decent, decent things sure. for a buck. Maybe it's not huge portions, huge quantities, you know. <clears throat> uh, but you can get good things at the Dollar Tree for a dollar. Now everything across the board has gone up twenty-five cents. Mm -hmm. So that means for every four items you buy, that's another dollar, right? It adds up, especially so, for, like you said, people in the lower socioeconomic scale. Well, and also you have to look at it this way. Now, uh, something real cheap that maybe wasn't worth a dollar. See, it kind of all used to work out because maybe they had some items in there that, I don't know, maybe it'd be worth like 250 or something. Mm -hmm. But they sell enough stuff that's probably only like... Pfft, worth 17 cents sure. at a dollar that it kind of all washes right well now i think it adds insult to injury because if you go in there and you're buying one of those products that probably only costs in actuality about 17 cents you're now paying even more a dollar 25 for a friggin 17 cent item right this also means that if you're really on a budget if you're a pensioner you know you're not somebody who has income coming in the front door you're going to have to be working harder to go around and find deals, find where you can get your money. You know what I mean? Save right. places where you can save your money. You'll Something be pinching wrong. your pennies even more. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that, you know, I had a discussion with a young lady who has children, and she's on the more liberal side. She didn't really seem to understand all this about inflation. And so that's why, I mean, I really hope mm. it kicks in for these people. Yeah. Because never again, I promise you, right? never again will you see anything in the Dollar Tree for a dollar. Everything's going to be a dollar twenty-five, and it's just going to keep going that way. Right. Someday it'll be a buck fifty, someday it'll be two bucks, okay? And let me make this point. We just did a bunch of recent traveling. Mm -hmm. um, we actually talked about it, as my colleague here said, on our other channel, if you care to go check that out. Um, and as we were traveling, we stayed at a few hotels, right. didn't we? Yeah. And, and they're certainly not cheap anymore, are they? No. It is not cheap. I mean, it's hard, I dare say. What, what would you say the average going cost for a decent hotel is? Maybe 100 bucks a night? Sure. Yeah, I was going to say like 80, 90, 100, somewhere around there. Somewhere in the ballpark. We'll go with 90. I'm fine with that. Somewhere in the ballpark of 90 bucks. Well, here's something interesting that I found out. I didn't know, but in 1962, there was a hotel chain that opened up called the Motel 6. You're familiar. Yeah. <clears throat> Do you know why they called it the Motel 6? It was only $6? It cost $6 a night to stay. Jeez. That was 1962. Wow. Okay. 
Now look at 10 years later. A little company opened up called Super 8. You know the Super 8 Motel? Uh-huh. Could you guess for me? $8. $8.88. Okay, yeah. Cost $8.88 right, that makes sense. in 1972. So that's 10 years later. The going cost of a hotel room had apparently gone up about less than $3 yep. over 10 years. What's a third, like a third increase? Six bucks to eight bucks? Now we're all the way up in the neighborhood of a hundred bucks a night. Okay, and it certainly hasn't gone back towards any six dollars. You see what I'm saying? Right. It's just, yeah. Once this trend starts, right. it stays that way. Right. Inflation mm -hmm. rarely ever deflates. So, I think it's interesting. They're waking up, but you still have some idiots out there. Oh, well, let me tell you. Let me put it this way. You have some people who are waking up like, here's a quote from our buddy, not really, over at the Fed – the Federal Reserve, uh, uh -huh. Jerome Powell, yeah. he's now qu quoted as saying, price increases have spread much more broadly. Yep. <laughs> Meaning prices are up across the board and not only in those sort of supply line issue right. cases. You know, they yep. kept blaming it on all oh, the COVID came in and the supply lines and then that ship got stuck in the canal and there mm -hmm. were all these excuses and now they're sort of like, out of excuses and prices are going up like with the Dollar Tree example right. across the board not just in these little niche Markets. channels yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so but anyway even in spite of that you still have some of the usual idiots out there trying to take <laughs> little cheap what would you call them uh, layups uh, for the president yeah <laughs> so there are personalities out there like uh don lemon over on oh, cnn gosh. who's celebrating he put up a chart over i don't know maybe a period of a week or something and and he had this little graphic that showed essentially that gas had dropped about seven cents that week right and he was going whoop he even got so giddy he was like doing a little hum or a sing or something <laughs> seven cents baby right and then <laughs> the DCCC. <laughs> that you know that wonderful group uh -huh. <clears throat> they put out an ad that says it, it showed a graph this really elongated stretched out graph <clears throat> it's another example of funny numbers okay yep. <laughs> just to show they make this graph look like there's been a huge decrease in gas prices but if you really look at it it's come down about two cents <laughs> and they've sort of zoomed in on this part of the graph so much that the differential is in fractions of pennies and we don't have fractions of pennies right so <laughs> i mean it's just it's crazy they show that there's been a two cent drop in gra gas prices and they caption this they put it up on twitter the uh -huh. link to this yep. and they said thanks biden Right. <laughs> yeah, well, that's thanks, like, Biden. That's like back in the summer, right before Fourth of July. They they said that, you know, thanks to their policies and the economic recovery that the the the, the rescue plan, the American Rescue Plan, they passed, our our Fourth of July feast was sixteen cents cheaper. Oh yeah, yep, I remember 16th. that. I think they did something similar around Thanksgiving too, but um, it had dropped by sure. two cents or something ridiculous. Right. You know, like big <laughs> deal. What's what's that mean? Is that Nothing. really a win? I mean, come on. That's <clears throat> no, not. All right. Well, the last thing I have here on sort of this uh, news coverage under Biden in the Biden era here. This one slapped me in the face, okay, and I couldn't not bring it up. But there's this idiot over at the Washington Post, mm. guy named Dana Milbank. Milbank? Mil was there an N? Milbank. Mil I don't know. Milbank. Maybe it is a U, and I'm misreading my own handwriting. Dana Milbank. Yeah, sure. I've definitely heard this story. Well, he's over at the Washington Post, and he <laughs> he commissioned a study, okay, to count adjective uses in the coverage of our last two presidents, okay? And he found out at the end of this that, you know, according to him, his, 
his takeaway uh-huh. from this study that he commissioned is that Joe Biden is targeted with more negative adjectives than Trump was. <laughs> <laughs> so uh-huh. get this. I, I'm, I'm going to guess they probably don't count white supremacists as a negative adjective. Oh, well, you're kind of hitting the nail on the head. I mean, okay. I didn't get in. I, I didn't take the best quote from him. But if you want to go back and look at this link, it will be available. I'll put it up. Um, most of this comes from Fox News. Uh, and as I'm about to quote, um, Greg Gutfeld. Greg, oh. Greg Gutfeld's <laughs> the source for a lot of this information yeah. here. So um, I think it's funny because... I did steal a quote from Greg here. Okay. Um, he's, I, I just love it, so yeah. I had to say it. But he said, we've got a biased writer at a biased paper who commissioned a biased firm to study media bias and found that the media is biased against Biden. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just so uh, crazy. Right. <clears throat> so, But I love this. The thing I did quote, I mean, obviously, what kind of language they're defining as negative right yeah that is subjective and they didn't right. outline what their criteria is not yeah. to my knowledge maybe maybe somewhere i didn't capture it here for this but what i did and what i think is interesting here is <clears throat> they studied the the adjectives that they were studying they compared the first 11 months of 2021 under biden versus the first 11 months of 2020 under Trump. Oh, well, they should so have compared... I see a bias right there because yeah. wouldn't it make more sense to compare Biden's first 11 months versus uh-huh. Trump's first 11 months? Yeah. So it'd be <sighs> like tw- the first 11 months of 2021 versus the first 11 months of 2017. Yeah. Not 2020. Yeah, because you you want to compare like apples to apples. The first 11 months of the president's term compared to the first 11 months of the president's term. When I dare say if Trump was getting any kind of good coverage in 2020, it was probably because he was on his way out. Yeah. They're probably sitting there going, ding, dong, Thank the God witch is he's dead. Gone. Yeah, they'll pro- yeah. So, I mean, if that co- counts as a positive thing, thank God he's leaving. Right. Don't let the door hit you. I mean, see, it's so subjective. It's silly. Yeah. But I love... One of the last quotes, he says it on CNN or somewhere. Um, you'll have to look at this video I said of Greg Gutfeld. He, he, he has the primary source, if you will. But the guy even admits in his own words, you'll see it played if you follow that link. But the guy, he says, it's not a perfect analysis, but it's, it's the first one they've ever had before. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, right, comparing... Uh-huh. Comparing media coverage under yeah, one they, president to they media do that coverage. All the time. Yeah, so give me a break. Yeah. Nobody's ever sat there and counted up the number of adjectives in a paragraph before. Yeah. Give me a break, guys. They Come do these on. comparisons and studies all the time. I'm gonna commission a few studies too, Reed. Because I guarantee you, they probably if you you can find one comparing uh, Trump's coverage to uh, Obama. Uh huh. For sure. Yeah. They act like it's brand new. It's never been done before. It's new. And he's trying to caution them and say, we need to be nicer to Biden and watch our language. Well, I mean, and I'll I'll just put this in real quick. There are articles that came out within the past day or so as we're recording where there are reports that Biden staffers have been meeting with media people to talk about how they're covering the economic situation mm-hmm. because it, it doesn't look good for Biden. So it's... Well, none of it looks good. And you yeah, have to sure. remember, he didn't have any negative coverage until that Afghan right. debacle. Yep, yep, pretty much. But still, I mean, who talks about that? Nobody. That's that's over and yep. dead and gone with Down now. memory hole. If this were Trump, I mean, we'd be on the third impeachment by now. Yep. <clears throat> They'd be shouting, there's blood all over his hands. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous and that, that they would say such a thing. You have to remember, Trump was Hitler. Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but Biden's had more negative coverage. Right. Oh, right. poor little <laughs> Biden. Poor little Biden. <laughs> Needs to run back down into his basement and hide some more. Yep. 
Well, that's all I got, reader. Yep, that's all I got, and you know, it's been quite quite a long episode catching up after our break, and uh, seems like a good spot to wrap it up. And hopefully, uh, you know, our living situations have changed a little bit, so we're hoping to get some more stuff put out a little bit more frequently uh, in the coming months and weeks. So stay tuned for that. And if you enjoyed this episode, leave a rating and a review. Oh, I almost forgot. Uh, You can also find our episodes for this show, Conservative Conversations, and for the Wiki Wacky Radio Show on YouTube. There's no now on YouTube. Yep, there is no actual video component. Uh, We might consider that in the future, but um, it, it. it is there, available for anybody if they prefer to stick with, you know, getting their stuff on YouTube. So you don't have to. So invest. like, comment, and subscribe. Yep, and share it with your friends, and well, stay tuned because we'll be putting stuff up there. Uh, and we have a little little backlog of some of our episodes. Um, this particular show does not have all of our past episodes because it would have taken a while to get everything turned into video. For the YouTube. Uh, but starting with this year's uh, first episode, which was the, uh, I forget the exact title, but it was uh, the predictions. predictions. Yep. Yeah. So starting with those episodes and continuing on to our new ones, you can find those on YouTube. Same with the Wiki Wacky Radio Show. All the episodes are available there. And uh, I think that's about it. Yep. We, we hope th- you've enjoyed listening and we thank you. Yep. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.